Welcome to Low Visibility, the podcast that can't see through its cool-looking helmet. I am Matt Comics, and uh, joining me as always is uh, the ever-lovely Link Sarah. And uh, we are doing a podcast here on Tokunet, uh, starting to talk about uh, vintage tokusatsu, as we feel a lot of shows uh, do cover the newer stuff. Um, basically, we're talking about older shows because we are, in fact, older fans. Um, without going into actual numbers, uh, we've actually been uh, watching this stuff for a very long time. Um, and we're just going to cover some of our shows that we... Uh, some of our favorite shows or some shows that we just feel like there is a lot to talk about. Uh, probably a thing where we're going to be going into the shows maybe a little bit deeper than than what other shows might do, if only because uh, rather than just talking about why we like them, we also uh, have a desire to talk about why we think they work or don't work. Yeah, this will be the first of four low visibilities that uh, Tokunet subscribers will get this year. That's about all we have time to do anymore. Uh, but this should be the old podcast's release schedule, which was uh, with terrifying randomness <laughs> towards the end, I think. I was going to say sporadic, but that's probably a more accurate description. So this is a Zhu Ranger show we promised people for a long time, and that many disasters have kept from getting a release. Now that we're at Tokunet and we have access to an actual sound editor again. I hope you guys will be listening to this in about oh, about a week from now, if all goes well. Anyway, let's let's get started talking about the show. Yes, Kyoru Sentai Zhuranger, and I probably butchered the pronunciation on that. But. You kind of <laughs> killed Kyoru, but like that's a word that seems almost designed if you're a native English speaker to present you with lots of sounds you never make and probably don't know how to make. Yeah, and I like to think I can hang pretty good with Japanese names, but yeah, there there's some where it's just like my uh, mouth just can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, so Zhu Ranger was the show after Jetman and before Die Ranger, and I think Zhu Ranger's really weird. I think it's even weirder than people who grew up on Power Rangers and want to see the Japanese stuff are really prepared for. Well, because it's not just whimsical, it's also, for lack of a better term, it's cracked out in some ways. <laughs> yeah, um, I I don't know who said this, so if I'm stealing from you, random Twitter user, I'm sorry. But I once read a description of the show that was written and directed by an eight-year-old subconscious. And that's a really, <laughs> really perfect summary of, of what Jew Ranger is, what it's story priorities are, such as they are, uh, and frankly, why adult viewers, especially ones with certain expectations, are going to watch this show and find it extremely boring. Other people will watch it and find it extremely fun. And I think a lot of that does, it, it just comes straight from the fact that this was the show after Jetman. Something I've seen a lot when you're dealing with your long-running Japanese media franchises is when a year hits a certain demographic that's not the usual demographic really hard. Like, you know, Jetman brought in a lot of adult viewers because there were a lot of adult themes and there was some novel storytelling. There was, you know, all the all, all the delicious angst in the love triangle. Well, yeah, Jetman was kind of like an old X-Men comic in a lot of ways. Yeah, after you have the show that kind of breaks out and hits the mainstream and brings a lot of people outside the core audience, then what they'll try to do the next year is like, okay, we need to really double down and make sure we haven't alienated our core viewership. 
And even a long time ago when Sentai was a lot more violent and, you know, darker, as the kids say, Sentai was still pretty solidly for very small children. I think about five to eight was typical then. Now it's even younger. I think it's like three to five. Yeah, and that... Younger skew kind of shows in material a little bit, because I think even with like these shows, okay, they're skewing younger, but there's still something for the older viewer, the kind viewer, excuse me, uh, to kind of, you know, grab onto. Whereas, you know, now it's, it's getting harder and harder to do that, I think. And that's not a knock on Sentai being for kids, certainly, because I would never want to, you know, see it go the other direction where, you know, kids are just completely shut out of it. I, I don't think that would actually accomplish anything positive. You know, I kind of, I tend to think of it as something, um, well, I kind of think of superheroes in general in this way, along the lines of something like Star Wars, where it it is something that has, you know, enough things in it for, like, you know, kids to enjoy, but then also there's plenty for, like, you know, teens and adults to chew on, too. I mean, this is something that, you know, we can share. It doesn't have to be, you know, completely dark, rated R, gory violence or whatever, but it also doesn't have to be, you know, the wiggles with explosions either. Yeah, when when people talk about old Sentai being different, I've noticed younger fans are really dismissive, but it really was. It was a different time slot, slightly different age range for the toys, and you know, sometimes even the runtime was different for a lot of those shows, which meant the pacing was different. I think what they thought people would tune in for was really different. Well, for the longest time, nobody made these shows with the idea that they would be ever watched in a marathon fashion like we do now, or we think of like, you know, just um, going through a series and, you know, through an entire season in one sitting would just not occur to them, especially in these days where uh, storytelling was geared more towards the episodic. So while there are some recurring plot beats and things like that, I mean, it wasn't really made with like the long arcs there. It was just basically giving you kind of, you know, the bang for your buck each and every week. It wasn't necessarily about like having a long game of, you know, having a plot that runs through the entire season. Um, but at the same time, though, Zhu Ranger is a show that does have those things, but its main mode of storytelling is episodic. And that was actually the main mode of storytelling in not only Japanese media, but also American media for a very, 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 very long time. Yeah, and Jetman did quite a bit with the running soap opera plot, so it feels like Jew Ranger's kind of trying to do the opposite. Jew Ranger does have plot runners, but it never has kind of the soap opera feel. There's very few cliffhangers. You typically only see them for the show's handful of two-parters. There are a lot of running plot threads, though. Things that will show up in one episode, and then you'll see them again about ten episodes later. Uh, the show's, you know, some people claim the show has no plot. I think the problem is, like, it does. It doesn't have the plot people would want most of the time. The plot's about dinosaur eggs and Bandora... You know, we're trying to ri to raise Satan, or Bandora doing this or that. Well, because she hates raising Satan because she hates children so much. Yeah. And the other thing that Zhu Ranger really doubles down on, that there was a little of in Jetman, but not really nearly as much, is the team 
seeming to mainly exist to help out little Japanese children from the neighborhood. <laughs> because all the little Japanese children, they recognize all, all of the Zhu Rangers. Yes. Uh, they will just walk up and start talking to them. And uh, the Zhu Rangers will get very invested in the fates of these individual <laughs> little kids. And this is kind of, it can be kind of make and break for Zhu Ranger. Because some people really don't like child actors. Yeah, myself, I mean, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the idea of superheroes helping children in, like, stories where that happens or where, you know, a kid, you know, manages to rescue a superhero from, like, some, you know, situation just because he happened to be at the right place at the right time. Now, that's not to say that the premise alone saves it, because like any kind of story idea, I mean, it can be done well. It can also be done not well. You can also, you know, beat that drum a little too often. And I think Zhu Ranger is a show that does, you know, the the child of the week thing a lot. Um, and, you know, not every one of them is a home run, but I think that's okay. I don't think that's the fault of, like, necessarily, you know, child actors or the concept of having the kids in the show. I think it's just sometimes, you know, you, you can do that well, and then sometimes it, it it's not. Um I think the important thing, though, is that the kid does still have an obligation to be an actual character. Like, they can't just be cute. They can't just be helpless. Uh, they have to be a character that, you know, makes sense in the story so that we can get invested in them at least roughly as much as we are in the heroes saving them. Yeah, and I think it's a fair criticism to throw Zhu Ranger's way that it just it does so many Kid of the Week episodes I think it just was not possible to make every kid really a character. And there's some episodes where, like, they're very pointedly not even trying. The kid is just there for the audience to identify with. Because Zhu Ranger, I think, really wanted to hit kids hard and really wanted to sell a lot of toys because they'd made a show for the grown-ups last year in Jetman, and this year they just wanted to do something different. And I think that's... What makes this show a little divisive, if you're revisiting it as an older viewer, uh, if you're someone who really doesn't like it when a kid's show wallows in kid's show things, if you really don't like it when a kid's show isn't, you know, going to tell some kind of melodramatic, preferably character-driven story, most of Jew Ranger's not. Like, the show has its themes and it really sticks to them. But Jew Ranger's talking to kids, and I think past a point, if you're older than eight, Jew Ranger doesn't care what you think of it that much. <laughs> well, I think on the positive, what it does well is that it can balance its uh, whimsy with some, you know, genuinely awesome superheroics and action and, and things like that. Um, it, it also has a fair amount of just friggin' weirdness. Uh, but even so, I think the elements of the show tend to work together more often than they don't. I personally am okay when Sentai decides to be super kitty and really deal in whimsy and dream logic, uh, and just really talking to the kids, because making stuff like that's not easy. It's actually, it's actually much easier to make a show for a hypothetical 12-year-old than a hypothetical 6-year-old. And Zhu Ranger is 
a show that's going to talk really well to either actual six-year-olds or, like, if if you have, like, a six-year-old part of your mind left. And I think that's kind of the way it, it sort of works for me in, in some respects. I mean, even though sometimes the, the kiddiness or the weirdness of it, you know, is a little off-putting, at the same time, it's kind of like, well, it's still, you know, these kind of awesome superheroes who have their awesome robot you know, dino and you know, and their cool dinosaur suits and all. I mean, it's there's plenty for my inner six year old to glom onto. Now we've been talking about how Shoe Ranger was very much about the done in ones. You know, very much about the kids of the week. But what's interesting about that is that there's this one big element of the show that kind of goes in the opposite direction. And I think so many people watch the series for this one thing and kind of sit through the rest being bored. I'm talking about the character Bry, and he is uh, the sixth member of the Zhu Ranger team. He's the, in a lot of ways, he is the first six ranger. He became, uh, if if you grew up on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, he became the Green Ranger, which is honestly a really different story and character. Uh, but with Bry, you had this, he actually has a character arc, which none of the other Zhu Rangers really do. But Bri very much starts off as one kind of person, and he does some terrible things, and then he kind of steps back and thinks about what he's done, and then he tries to atone, and then, you know, spoilers, he dies. And he's just dead for the last ten episodes of the show. Just Well, also important to mention here, too, is that uh, Bri is uh, Geki, the Red Ranger, um, or Tyranno Ranger, I should say, uh, his brother... Um, actually, we never did really go through the roster of the team, uh, did yeah. we? Yeah, well, it's, uh, again, something that is a strength or a weak point of view, Ranger. The, the lead characters exist. Show's not really about them. Well, it's not about them in the sense that they are meant to have, you know, these long, like, character development arcs, so much as they are, you know, static characters, they have their personal traits, and then the things in a show sort of... Um, are bouncing off those traits, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Geki is very much, I mean, he he's a Red Ranger's Red Ranger in in, in some ways. I mean, he, he is the leader guy. That That's his deal. Uh, as close to a second-in-command as the team has is Goshi, uh, the Black Ranger, who I believe is uh, the Mammoth Ranger. Yes. In order of relative importance, you have Mei, who is a Terror Ranger, the lone female member of the team. Then you have Dan and Boy, who a lot of people have a hard time telling apart. <laughs> uh, Dan is Tricara Ranger, and he's kind of, he's a kid, he's kind of lazy, kind of bratty. And then Boy is, I think, uh, like Saber Ranger, or something like that, Saber Ranger. He's uh, the saber-toothed tiger guy. Uh, he's the serious kid. He's the kid who listens and behaves and works hard to do things. Well, he's also like a really good athlete and everything too. Um, but yeah, getting back to Barai, um, this arc—I mean, he basically has a redemption arc, whereas like uh, Tommy's whole thing was more of a mind control thing. I mean, granted, Tommy has to go through some bit of redemption arc too. But I mean, this is a bit more pointed because he Barai has basically been convinced for a very long time that Geki is his enemy, that Geki betrayed him. Well. It's a really complicated thing. To be honest, it's a really archetypically Japanese plot. Like, if you read a lot of Japanese folklore, 
or like historical stories, a bunch of stuff like this happens. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, if you are from the U.S., Canada, kind of the the Western Hemisphere, it'll probably be a bit weirder to you. Uh, the idea is that uh, Geki's parents were the rulers of the ancient dinosaur people because the Zhu Rangers have their powers because they're ancient humans <laughs> who evolved from dinosaurs that ruled the world like millions and millions of years ago. Uh, yes, they are dinosaur people. It's... Yeah. It, I mean, again, when we say the show doubles down on whimsy, it really doubles down on whimsy. Well, what's funny is that became a recurring element in later Sentai seasons. Like, if you watched Abba Ranger, you're just thinking, oh, like uh, like uh, the Black Ranger. Yeah. And if you watched Kyoryuger, you're just like, oh, kind of kind of like the Kyoryugers, how they're kind of, you know. Yeah, it's... There's a weird... It's... I forget the term for it. It's like rejected knowledge. There are a lot of weird crackpot theories going back to like the 60s and 70s about people who evolved from either lizards or dinosaurs and lots of tin hat conspiracy theories about what they're like and what they do. And a lot of stuff like that, uh, Japanese creators who work on what I would call your pulp fiction, like your cheesy TV shows, your cheesy manga, your anime light novels, things like that. They l- really like to draw on that for ideas, for backstories and things like that. So that's why even though Zhu Ranger has a real kind of like a fairy tale motif with everyone being descended from kings and queens who ruled the world in ancient times, they're also lizard people, and that means they have superpowers. And deal with it. The show never tries to explain <laughs> this. Anyway, Geki's parents were like the king and queen, and they... They were childless. So what you often did if that happened in ye olden times in Japan is you would adopt a kid and then you would say that kid was going to, uh, they would be like crown prince. And so that's what they did. They took Bri from his parents and adopted him and said, okay, you'll be king. And then um, Geki's mom conceived a child and Geki was born and because he was of their actual bloodline he took pride of place over Bri. Bri's biological father who thought he was going to get all this power and influence out of his son becoming the crown prince just got completely mad as heck and tried to kill Geki's biological father and he was defeated and Bri had to watch all this and it, it was very horrifying and his biological father died imploring him to take revenge and this led to Bri being crazy and violent and turning against everyone and when he's brought into the series we fi- we we found out like because everyone else got put into like magical cryo sleep so they could wake up later and fight Bandora he went into, like, the Cave of Time or something like that and just chose to be naturally frozen so he could wake up later when they woke up and then try to kill Geki. Yeah, he's in some... It's like a time-locked uh, sort of mm. uh, temple or something where basically time does not pass. Whereas if he's in outside world, time is passing. Yeah. Yeah, and it turns out that if you do this to cheat your way into the future, there's a price you pay. And in his case, it's that 
because he wasn't frozen and sent to the future the right way, his lifespan has been dramatically shortened. Now, what's ironic and depressing about this, because Jew Ranger knows it's depressing mythology, when Bri is trying to kill Geki and is just completely evil, and there's this thing where people think his sword was mind-controlling him, and I'm, like, positive. I've never seen a translation that wasn't a guest translation that ever implied that. Just, he had a cool sword that was evil, and then when he stops being evil, it breaks. That's all it is. Yeah. No, he's he's being evil of his own volition because of his father's dying words. And he just, you know, fights Yu Ranger, tries to destroy Tokyo, just does every bad thing that a Sentai villain can. And then Geki eventually sways him by saying, like, look, would killing me really really satisfy you. And at that point, you know, the power of justice sways him. And he's like, no, it actually wouldn't. I'm sorry, I'm a crappy guy. And then it's it's like after that, after he's joined the team and Geki has his brother back and it's great, that's when he meets Clotho, who's this creepy spirit of death who's just like, yeah, you've got X hours to live. Yeah, he looks like if the Gorgon Priest set a baby. Yeah, he is. He's he's completely a Gorgon Priest baby. <laughs> yeah, so for that phase of his plot, uh, so they don't have to write him hanging around the way modern shows do, he spends as much time as he can in the Cave of Time, where time doesn't pass, to uh, maximize the time left to him, which is which is represented by a certain green candle. Which you Power Rangers fans will also be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Which slowly burns down whenever he leaves the Cave of Time to help out the team. So that's where you get the pattern that Power Rangers used a lot. Where the team is fighting a monster, they sort of get beaten back, and then, oh man, guys, Dragon Ranger's here! And then you see Dragon Caesar and all the cool stuff happens. But... It's like every time he does that, it burns down his candle. So he's one step closer to death every time he tries to help out the team. Bandora figures this out and eventually starts, like, they start having plots that are just completely filler episode plots. But Bandora will say, I'm just going to try to keep Burai out of the cave of time for as long as possible. She just wants to kill him for leaving her forces and make Geki sad. What's great about Bandora is she will just be evil for the sake, not really of being evil, but for the sake of malice. She wants to see people be hurt. She wants to see them be sad and suffer. And that such, it's a really small motivation compared to a lot of Sentai villain motivations, but I like it. Well, for one thing, the performance of the actress really, really sells it. I mean, she's basically, you know, a wicked witch. Uh, in like the, you know, fairy tale sense, the Wizard of Oz sense. And, and there's, there's clearly some Wizard of Oz inspiration going on here. I mean, because what is Griff Forzer if not just like, okay, what if he took a flying monkey and made him awesome? Yeah, the, the motif for the Bandora gang is pretty much Wizard of Oz. This is really pronounced early on. Later on, they add Lamy, who's the, like... Uh, she's clearly meant to be based on a Lamia, but her giant form is more like a scorpion. Uh, that's why she was Scorpina in the uh, the Power Rangers version. Yes. Uh, she's a really fun character in Zhu Ranger because she's introduced as Griff Forzer's wife, 
<laughs> so when, like, the, the high point of any Zhu Ranger episode is usually when the villains are hanging around talking to each other. But once she shows up, that gets even better because you'll get weird scenes where they're hanging around the base, either talking about their domestic life or just acting like a husband and wife. Just the husband is a rubber suit monster. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, there is, in fact, there's an episode where Pandora calls Griforzer out for holding sexist opinions. <laughs> and it's the, it's, it's just great. It's just really great. What I find really interesting about Bandora is that even though she's on the surface a really kind of goofy, silly villain, she gets one of the more decisive wins you see in, in Sentai, especially if, like, post-80 Sentai, when the villains typically just started doing less damage. Because her plans to kill Bri eventually work. Uh, Bry's time does run out. He's put in a situation where he has to choose between his own death or the death of a kid of the week. It is fortunately one of the better kids of the week, but it's still kind of the two sides of Zhu Ranger people don't really talk about in the same breath, kind of crashing headlong into each other. Uh, Bry decides that saving, you know, the the young life is more important that he's had his time. And he eventually passes on. And this leads to some stuff with death and Sentai you don't usually see. Like, there's... They spend an episode where his robot grieves for him. And it's the saddest thing uh, to watch um, Dragon Caesar literally mourning the loss of his pilot, which is kind of... You know, if you think about it, just like, you know, what what could be sadder than basically like a Sentai Mecha who's lost the hero who's supposed to pilot him, you know? Yeah, because something really interesting about the Zhu Ranger robots, which I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, they hadn't really done before. They'd maybe flirted with it. But in Zhu Ranger, the robots are just sentient. Uh, Dai Zhujin just talks and is just God. Okay, yeah, we should mention, yes, he not only is a sentient uh, giant robot, but he's also a sentient giant robot who happens to be not a god, but basically the god, at least as far as this world setting is concerned, mm-hmm. as in, like, you know, the, the god who created all things. Yeah, and it's funny because he'll often seem to give the Zhu Rangers terrible advice. Like, he spends a lot of the Bri arc telling Geki, you must kill your brother, Geki, and then that... No, he doesn't. He doesn't actually have to. Well, doesn't that play into, like, some of the Old Testament versions or whatever, where basically, like, God basically plays a trick on somebody to teach them a morality lesson? Um, you could certainly read it like that, because Daijujin doesn't seem put off when Bri decides to stop being a big evil jerk. Yeah. Um, the big theme they express with the robots in Ranger is the idea that there is a life cycle and there's an order to things in nature and, you know, your role as a living being is to participate in the life cycle. You need to grow older and prosper when you're a child. Then when you're an adult, you have your own children. And then, you you know, you, you grow old and you protect people who are younger than you. Uh, which is, it's a message that I think gets repeated verbatim in part of Kaku Ranger. But I feel like in, in Jew Ranger, because that's such a simpler show, it's, it really feels like the entire series was pared down just to make that one big point. 
which is interesting because a lot of Sentai seasons, they have big plots and they have big characters, but the themes tended to be uh, less ambitious, more typical good versus evil stuff. And then Jew Ranger, even though its individual plots are, are really simple, its big themes are getting into, like, why do you, child who is viewing this show, exist? You know, I mean, most of these shows just want to sell you a toy, not sell you a toy and get into the meaning of life. Well, I think that can be the fun thing about Sentai at its best, which is, okay, you know, you you have the fun aspect of it, you have the toy aspect of it, but you're you're still getting stories, you're still getting themes, you're still getting characters, and these don't have to be mutually exclusive goals. Yeah, so after uh, Bri dies, we get arcs where uh, his powers eventually pass to Geki, and that's his the the cool shield he has that sets his design apart from the other characters. Uh, we see him again in the end of the series. He appears in like a post-death state, and the end of the series is really ambiguous in terms of what happens to the Zhu Rangers. I I think they all like transcend death and go to heaven and become dinosaur bodhisattvas? Well, they're shown basically uh, sitting on a cloud saying goodbye to everyone. And and the cloud is just the cloud from Dragon Ball. <laughs> well, and the uh, their robots are with them, and their robots, they're gods individually, and then they come together and they're also god. And there's they they do a weird thing where they put all the toys on a mandala in oh, the scene. Oh yes, 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 and yeah. it, very obviously the toys, which makes this really funny. <laughs> yeah, when da- Daijujin, speaking of how like divinity is one and many, is talking about the the cycle of life and what someone is meant to do in it. Uh, this also ties in with the end of the show because we find out Bandora's m- motivation. The reason why she hates kids, the reason why she just likes to hurt people and watch them feel sad, is that a long time ago, she was hurt. She had a child who died in an accident, and she, you know, was bereaved. She was devastated, the way any parent would be. And then she decided that this was fundamentally unfair. It was not fair that she was hurt, but other people got to have alive children. And she began to resent everyone, and that's when she became a witch and started started worshipping Satan. They call him Die Satan in, in Jew Ranger, which means, like, Big Satan, which kind of makes it better. He kind of looks like a kaiju Phyllis Diller in a way, but, uh, yeah, he's basically supposed to be Satan. Yeah, so for people who are big on watching Super Sentai to see what was censored out of the adaptation, some of those arcs are just mind-blowing because she's, like, sacrificing children and, like, weeping tears of blood... There's a big giant devil head leering over this over the city, and you know, in even today in American cartoons, kind of American kid vid, you can't even say hell. You can't even say Satan, let alone have a character who just worships Satan. But in Japan, that's okay. They're not actually Christians. It's just you know, whatever. Have fun. Yeah. So I think in that respect, it just becomes another form of mythology for them to draw from. Just like we would, you know, draw stuff. We would we would use Zeus for a lot of things, or uh, you know, or Norse mythology. I mean, any of that. I mean, it's it's just something else to, you know, enhance the the narrative. Mm-hmm. Well, I like how in uh, the '60s and '70s, uh, because of the Comics Code, you couldn't show Satan in a comic book 
So Marvel just, uh, have Mephisto. Right, right, exactly. Who is exactly like Satan in every major way, but he is not Satan, so we can show him in a comic book. <laughs> you know, in Japan, they don't have to use those workarounds. If you want your bad guy to be Satan, he's just Satan. Which, you know, is fine. So that's the plot of Zoo Ranger, and what happens in it, you'll notice we never talk about the main characters having an arc, because they don't. Geki kind of has a little bit of character development because of the stuff with Barai. Everyone else, pretty much Geki's amazing friends. They just, they hang out. Well, and the thing is, you can have static characters in a thing, and that isn't necessarily bad, and it doesn't mean that the creators are being lazy, or it doesn't mean that the story is somehow less of a story. I mean, it's just a, a different approach. I mean, sometimes you have characters who are meant to have a lot of development in arcs, and sometimes you have characters who just, they are there to be who and what they are, and then you have different situations kind of bouncing off of that, or even different characters who go through their own arcs bouncing off of that. Um, and often the person going through the arc in his Ranger episode is actually the kid. Mm-hmm. I think this is another case of uh, doing exactly the opposite of Jetman. Because in Jetman, in theory, every main ranger has a full character arc. But the characters of the week, they might learn a lesson, but you didn't really learn much about them. And then in Zhu Ranger, for most of the show, most of the heroes are pretty ideal and pretty with it from the start. And they're teaching lessons to, you know, kids and other really young characters of the week that they meet. And, you know, most people will have their own preferences for how Sentai does things. Uh, I've noticed, as, as I've gotten older, I really like it when they don't do the same things twice. Like, I like the idea of, this show was good at these things, so we're going to be good at these other things that show didn't really do. And then even though so much of the formula has to stay the same, the shows still feel like they have different identities. Well, right. Uh, the fact that the show has a format and various, you know, traditions and things like that. I mean, that doesn't have to be a death sentence for being able to tell interesting stories or being able to tell stories that differ from each other series to series. It's yeah. the formula. There's some rigidity to it, but it doesn't have to be that rigid. Yeah. So I guess to kind of sum up, Zhu uh, Ranger is a weird show. Most people tend to really like it or hate it. Uh, it was a really important show. It was a turning point for the Super Sentai series in a lot of ways. Obviously, you had Bri, the first Sixth Ranger. Um, what I find it interesting is even though, like, like, usually the first time Sentai does an idea, they do it better later. And the first one is mostly notable for trivia. I feel like Bri is still one of the best Sixth Rangers. They've done some, you know, some... Similar things with him later, but never in the same kind of detail. And I think it's really gutsy how they're willing to kill him so long before the show ends. Well, I think he actually benefits from not getting to stick around. I mean, that's not to say that, like, okay, every time there's a Sentai show, I want them to kill off the, the Six Ranger or anything like that. But I just think, okay, not only did he have the benefit of being the the first, I mean, and, and by the first, I mean like, you know, like the first real six ranger as we think of a six ranger being in a, in a Sentai uh, series. Um, but also I think he just benefits from a certain economy 
of his presence in this series. Basically, he's not around long enough for you to really be able to get sick of him. And for most of the time that he is there, what he's doing is very relevant, very important, um, very much contributes to the bigger, greater plot. He doesn't really have time to get watered down by quickly burning through his personal plot and then spending a lot of the show just hanging around in the background of scenes, maybe using his personal toys and fights, but not really being more than an average member of the team. Now, I know some people really like that, where the Sixth joins and just becomes a regular member. I'm a bit more fond of the idea that the Sixth Ranger is just special. They are special the way the Red is always going to be special. I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I wouldn't even mind it being a thing where basically you see the Sixth Ranger show up when... uh, well, uh, well, basically, when when the fit hits the shan, so to speak, like you know, basically when you know, just it's really like a big deal. Whereas, like the week, the week to week stuff is basically handled by our main core heroes, and I think that's also another benefit of how they handle Barai too, is that you have a six ranger who has a very large presence. He's very cool, awesome design, awesome mecha, all that stuff. Yet he doesn't because his time is so short. Uh, he doesn't really overshadow the team. He doesn't really take anything away from Geki or away from the others. You never really get the feeling, uh, that feeling you sometimes get where you just say, well, why isn't it the show just about him? You know, because, you know, basically the heroes are allowed to have their presence and he's allowed to have his presence and they don't really overwhelm each other, if that makes sense. Now, I'd say another big turning... Well, actually, before we move on to the next big turning point, uh, people asked us to actually compare Bry's arc to Tommy's arc in Power Rangers. Huh. Usually, we don't take Power Rangers questions because we don't really watch the new stuff. But for MMPR, I think we both mostly saw it when it first aired. Yeah. Um, We haven't watched it lately, so if you're like a big Power Rangers super fan who's done a marathon watch in the past year... I'm sorry, we'll probably get something wrong. The thing for me is, Tommy's plot was a really archetypal uh, American comic book mind control plot. Like, there's Mm. a lot of early, like, Avengers comics has a counterpart to this. Legion of Superheroes has counterparts to this. Where you meet this character as a villain, and it turns out he's being mind controlled, and if you break the mind control, he comes back to your side. What I've always found interesting once I knew the two stories and could compare them, uh, it's both much simpler and more elegant, and I think less interesting than Bry's plot. Because in in Bry's plot, he chooses to do evil things of his own volition, and then he chooses to stop, but he still has to pay for what he did. When you're dealing with a mind-control plot, then usually, like, you don't blame the person who was mind-controlled for what they did. You blame the main villain. And so it means Tommy gets to be really evil and then they redeem him and he kind of has a get out of evil free card. Like, I think they do some episodes where he feels bad, but he doesn't have to deal with being responsible for having done, you know, what he did. Well, I think in Tommy's case, too, they were, you know, I don't know if they necessarily went into it thinking that he would stick around for for basically indefinitely. Um, but certainly once his popularity and stuff took off, then it was kind of like, well, hey, I mean, people like this character. 
you know, let's figure out a way to keep him around, even though we don't necessarily have the Sentai footage to do it with. Um, so I think, you know, for the long game, I mean, if he's going to be a consistent member of the team, he's going to be around indefinitely. Like if you're thinking of Power Rangers, like an ongoing superhero comic in a way, then yeah, it does kind of make sense to, I don't call it like a get out of evil free card so much as basically just like, you know, set it up in such a way that you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time on him trying to redeem his actions because he can just kind of get on with the business of being, you know, an, another uh, member of the mm-hmm. squad and another member of the Avengers, another member of the X-Men, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, and on a production side, I can't say it was a bad call to keep him around and really give him emphasis. Like I know a lot of Power Rangers fans are really sick of Jason David Frank for various reasons. I'm, I'm not going to question that. I'm sure it it makes sense if you are big into Power Rangers. Just speaking as someone who watched the show very casually when it was first on, um, the Tommy arc was when people really stood up and took notice of the show. Like, when the first episodes aired, if you were not in the target audience, you kind of laughed at it and moved on. When they were doing the Green Ranger stuff, that's when, like, if you hung out at a comic shop, if you hung out with the nerdy kids in your middle school <laughs> or high school... Um, that's when people would start saying, hey, they're actually doing this thing on Power Rangers that's kind of cool. Because the, the, the Green Ranger arc is one of the first times in that kind of era of Kidvid where you had a running kind of a soap opera plot. And so between that and, you know, Jason David Frank was pretty charismatic as the uh, Green Ranger. Like, I can see why you would just want to keep him around. yeah. And really emphasize him once he became a hero, and you could sell him without having to kind of jump through the hoops you have to jump through to sell bad guy toys. You could start selling good guy toys of him. But in the case of Barai's arc, it was more that Barai is there presenting, you know, a challenge to the heroes. And, I mean, they have various challenges throughout the show. And then, of course, you know, they go into a challenge of, you know, okay, well... How are you going to fight someone who who is your brother? How are you going to fight someone that you don't actually want to fight? Um, you know, which I mean, it, certainly it's not the first time this was, or something sort of like this has been done at Tokusatsu. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Shadow Moon comes to mind immediately. Well, um, and it's it's worth pointing out that Jew Ranger's head writer uh, Noboru Sugimura. Uh, took over as the second head writer of Common Rider Black, and most of the stuff later on in the show involving, uh, you know, Black and and Shadow Moon, the the big conflict between the brothers, he writes most of those episodes. And part of me kind of feels like, with Zhu Ranger, he kind of wanted to do a similar story, but give it a happier ending. And in that context, I find it interesting that like, Shadow Moon was a mind-control villain, not to go into too much detail, uh, but you could have redeemed him and used the get-out-of-evil card, and Sugimura refused to do it. I think Black RX goes back and does it, because that's the kind of show Black RX is. Uh, in Ranger, oh. he didn't give himself the card at all. Bry yeah. is just, he, he, he does bad things, he makes, he makes bad life choices, I was going to say, like, a lot of it is just bad decision-making. Yeah, and even after he's redeemed, he still has to deal with the consequences of making those choices. 
And I, I really like that as a message, because especially when you're a kid, it's really hard to understand how to love someone who's maybe a part of your life, but not necessarily a good person, doesn't necessarily do good things. I feel like maybe seeing how Geki dealt with Bri maybe kind of gave some kids a model for that, who who needed it. Or maybe just kind of gave them a way to deal with you know, maybe their sibling being mean to them or something like that mm-hmm. and being, you know, kind of enabling them to be able to see past whatever phrase, phrase, phase, excuse me, uh, that their, you know, brother or sister is going through. Well, if you take Brian Geki's conflict as like a metaphor for a, an older brother bullying the younger brother, certainly makes a bit more sense that all Geki has to do to turn him in, is be like, well, okay, what if I did die? You just like no, I don't really want you to die. I'm sorry, you know. But again, this is this game's not fun anymore. The scene's a lot like that. Just this is a show for kids, and kid logic is going to determine how things play out. Well, yeah, yeah. And I guess because I know the writer who did this did a lot of other things that certainly did not work on kid logic. I find it interesting he made the conscious choice to write like that. Because, again, writing, like, kid dream, that's actually really hard. It's actually much easier to just pretend like your audience is 10. Which, you know, Common Rider tends to do that, and I think that's why people really like Common Rider. And it's, it's certainly not bad. It's just a very, very different kind of writing. Okay, so we did that. The second turning point in uh, Zhu Ranger that we wanted to talk about as kind of changing Super Sentai. This is the first series... Uh, as far as we know, there's some earlier series where it's kind of debatable. This is the first one where the heroes are magical. They're just explicitly magical. The robots are magic. Their powers are magic. There is no attempt to put a veneer of super science on anything. Uh, some earlier seasons had kind of played with it. I think Turbo Ranger does about as much with fantasy as is done before Zhu Ranger just really goes nuts with it. Yeah, there's basically... Um... Well, it's kind of operating on sci-fi terms, or at least, you know, sci-fi terms as you might think of it in, you know, a classic Marvel comic, more Mm -hmm. or less. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this where it's just, you know, yeah, the heroes are straight up magic. I mean, even though the mecha are portrayed as machines and they still kind of work like machines, they're they're inherently magic. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And everything about them is magic. The source of them is magic. Um, and the heroes themselves, they're kind of... They're heroes, but they're also... In a way, you can almost kind of think of them as like like your awesome imaginary friends. Yeah. You know? They um they kind of have the knight errant thing going for them. Uh, some people kind of think of Zhu Ranger as maybe coming out of the RPG fad. Because RPGs got really popular. That would make sense giving... That would make sense given the clothing designs that they have. I mean, well, they have kind of like their their hero costumes, you know, with their with their helmets and everything. Uh, but then they also have just what is their their common clothes, not clothes like street clothes, but just basically they they wear the stuff they wore back in the day. Yeah, and I, I've never like read anything where a member of production was going, "Yes, we based it on RPGs," but. There's just such similarity there. I have no problems believing, yeah, this thing that was popular influenced Sentai. Because if you follow Sentai through the years, you can almost track what was popular in Japan that year by just what kind of things they are doing in the show. 
Anyway, it's really weird to think of magic, just explicitly everything's magic being a thing in Sentai didn't happen until Zhu Ranger. Because now in the shows, more often than not, the explanation for the characters and the powers and the setup is just going to assume magic. Like, it's it's been a... I think GoBusters was the last team that tried really hard to focus on super science. Yeah, and I was kind of hopeful with that because I don't have anything against the whole fantasy and magic thing in Sentai. I just would like to see it balanced out a bit more where maybe you could have a sci-fi team one year and then a magic team the next. Um, but it seems like we sort of more often than not consistently get uh, magic teams basically all the time, even when it's not a power animal show. So Lately, things seem to be kind of going in the direction of magical gadgets, because in Kiryuger, the powers are basically magic, but there is a scientist character who builds things. True, true. And in Tokyuger, basically magic, except everything is going through the lens of trains, and trains are very much, you know, a machine and things that little Japanese kids love. Uh, the last turning point, let's talk about the robots. Because uh, Zhu Ranger, I don't think it's the first five-part combiner, but the way it combines is pretty distinct, and the robots that follow after it, I think, are more like it than not like it. Yeah, um, because there was combiners before Zhu Ranger, but the way they combined, I mean, like, often you'd have two rangers in one component, and then, like, another two rangers in another component, and then Red would have his own vehicle, and then they would combine. And there would be a sort of um, Gundam-esque carrier thing that would bring them out, and then they would launch from that. Uh, whereas here, they're more combiner, well, kind of in the sense of, um, well, Voltron, Golion, whichever, you know, which basically, like, each hero has their their own distinct component vehicle. They combine, and then they have... Uh, they combine with uh, Dragon Caesar, which is kind of interesting because you have two separate mecha, but then one of the mecha becomes essentially an armor for the main hero's mecha. And then they do eventually bring in a carrier, only rather than being a carrier in kind of a, a Gundam sense, I mean, he, he's basically like a carrier that is also a power-up for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was big for quite a while then because it was one of the typical playsets you'd get. You could buy, like, all the stuff and then get something that would let you carry your stuff around. Uh, final note on the subject of mechanical design. I believe the Zhu Ranger robots were the first designs mainly done by Suyoshi Nonaka, uh, who was a protege of... It was the mechanical designer who designed Go Lion. And that's why... Dai ah, okay. That's okay. why, yeah, with, with Daijujin you kind of have the same uh, colors... And he has gone on to do really extensive work with both Super Sentai and designing a lot of the original stuff for uh, Power Rangers. Uh, I've heard he's the president of Plex now. I don't know if that's true. I, I do know he's placed very highly in the uh, Bandai toy design echelons. So, you know, something else cool about Zhu Ranger. And... I think that wraps it up. I think we've said all we can about... Oh, one more thing we could say, I guess. 
Oh yeah, let's talk about the uh, the actual DVD set. Uh, yeah, this was the first Super Sentai season to get officially released on DVD. Uh, no one saw this coming, but it was part of the 20th anniversary of Power Rangers celebration. It was released by Shout Factory. The set is 10 discs, subtitles only. And there is one bonus feature, which is frankly one more than I expected. It's a pretty cool... Uh, it's a translation and recording of uh, a panel at Power Morphicon 2014 where they had uh, the actor who played Geki and some suit actors just as- answering questions about production. Um, and actually, the subtitles on the set are, are pretty good. Um, yeah, it's like if I was ranking the set as a purchase on a pass-fail basis, it's absolutely a pass. If I'm ranking it on more of like a letter grade or A, B, C, D, it would be more of like a B, C. Because like you've got really good video quality. The These discs are pretty much clones of the Japanese discs which I think Toei noticed and then later corrected with the Die Ranger set. Uh, and the subtitles are, if you're going to have a show of this length subtitled by a licensor that isn't primarily about delivering subtitles, I would have expected something honestly a little worse than this. Now, honestly, like, some people are basically mad these don't read like fan subs. You will never get official subs that read like fan subs unless it's something being localized and being produced by a company that regularly, like, just deals in localized material. And that's not Shout Factory. Shout Factory mostly deals in cult TV uh, movies. I mean, they own Mystery Science Theater now. Uh, This is a very small part of what they do, so I'm not really surprised they would have contracted and just gotten someone else to do the translation. Um, there are some issues with the translation that really bother some people, like with names. I'll just say, if your standard is, can I just watch this and know what the characters are saying and know what's happening, then yes. And when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with official tokusatsu releases, that's getting you into the 90th percentile. Uh, uh, anyone who buys a lot of official Asian cinema releases knows these don't always get even comprehensible subs. Uh, and especially for the cost and all the episodes you get, uh, this is not a bad buy at all. And I would, I would recommend it if you wanted to see Zhu Ranger. Some people are like, well, you have to buy it even if you don't like Zhu Ranger to support the cause. And I'll just be like, no, that's stupid. Don't, don't buy things you don't actually want to watch. Well, and, I mean, it, it is good, though, that we have a Sentai coming over in its original form at all, because I think um, something that could be kind of divisive would be, okay, the only way to get it over here is if you're seeing it through Power Rangers, but then, you know, if you're someone who doesn't like what Power Rangers does with the material, then fan subs are kind of your only option. So, I mean, I do think it's cool that you can actually just, you know... Um, we're kind of getting to the point now where if there's a Sentai series you like and you're not necessarily into the Power Rangers version of it, then, you know, you could go on Amazon and and buy that show. Yeah, well, I'll just say licensing is always good. Official releases are always good. Now, granted, I have skin in the game. I tend to get hired to work on these things. Uh, But it's just really obvious if you go look at the internet now, as opposed to two or three years ago when it was just the fan subs... A lot more people have seen Jew Ranger. A lot more people, you know, are discussing the show, whether it's good or bad. Uh, it's only lifted 
the the visibility, haha, of Super Sentai in the West. And to me, you know, that's good. Because, let's be honest, if you really don't want to buy this, if you really just want to watch the fan subs, anything you put on the internet will circulate until the end of time. If you really want to see the fan subs, you can see them somehow. But a lot of people will buy and watch this set who would never fool with installing codec packs and watching things on their computer or figuring how to get a computer to output to their TV or figuring out which player to use. Just a lot of people won't mess with that. It, it's it's just a waste of their time. Well, I mean, I'm someone who watches you know, fan subs, but then at the same time, I, I do like having a set that I can, that is just, I can watch a show. I can just basically walk over to my bookshelf, take it off of there, pop it in and go. Yeah. So I, I'm really happy Shout Factory put this out. They've also put out Die Ranger, which we'll be talking about in about six months if yeah. we manage to stay on schedule. <laughs> and uh, I hope they release many, many more seasons. I hope they release all the seasons, which is probably not going to happen, but I hope they do. And... I, would, I would love it if they released Time Ranger. Um, at, at, at this point, uh, I, I kind of wonder if they'll get to Time Ranger before the fan subs finish. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in joke, the <laughs> I learned how to use Aegisub to subtitle Time Ranger, and then the project got hugely delayed. So it's like five years later, I am retired. I have no time for fan stuff now. I just get paid to do like games and comics and localizations of all kinds of things now. And Time Ranger is still not out. Maybe someday. It's just, <laughs> that's... That's the issue with deciding we don't need an official release. We can just have fan subs. Fan subbers are doing things in their spare time. Maybe someone will will get around to finishing the release. Maybe they can't. Maybe ten other shows are competing with that. When you have official licensing, when you have people with money riding on it and they have skin in the game, they'll finish the release. They will put it out at a certain date. It will go. It will get pressed. It will go to distributors, and it will definitely make it out to you. And that's why I think. Licensing is, is in the long run, better for everyone than just leaving everything to fans. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, guys, thank you uh, so much for uh, tuning into our podcast. Um, we hope that uh, the schedule that we have now will um, allow us to actually keep doing podcasts. Uh, between her work and, and my work, uh, we should be able to... Uh, with this format, at least, we should be able to kind of do things on a semi-regular basis of nothing else. Uh, the plan is four shows a year, so a show right. every three months, because roughly every three months as Japanese TV seasons change over, I'll have a lull in my work. I tend to have about two weeks where I'm only working on, like, the big long-haul projects. And then we can make time to, you know, watch a show, do our research, uh, talk about it, and hopefully give you something that's really worth listening to. Anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time. If you have any comments, you'll be able to leave them uh, at the Tokusatsu Network page when this goes out. If you want to email us, you can reach us at lowvisibilitypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you very much. Good night, Internet. I got, I got.